0: Hello and welcome to This DVT Life. I'm your host, Renee Petrie. Hey everyone, good to be here. Hope everyone is doing well. Um, I'm just pleased to say that I'm hearing stories of people uh, sharing the podcast with uh, their family members and friends. In fact, my wife's cousin is tuning in, so hello to you. Um, It's great to see the community building beyond DVT people. Um, I think there's a lot of people that resonate with the practice that we do as DVTers, um, and I'm glad to have you guys join in on the conversation. Uh, today, I want to share a little bit about um, something I talk a lot about in terms of DVT, which is building a bridge. Uh, it's something I coined a long time ago, which is how the heck are we going to do this play thing that we're doing with each other when, you know, one person is kind of on one side and one's on the other? There's not a lot of room to grow the play together besides just the expectation that someone should be able to do it. Um Play is not a given. It's not an easy thing to do, actually, and we shouldn't expect that people can easily do it. So at times we have to kind of build bridges to make a connection with someone. Um, So I hope you enjoy this story, and although it's a little teachy, I think it'll be really cool nonetheless. How to build a bridge, and why we might consider doing it. Subtitle, a meditation on the art of bridge building. And no, that's not an oxymoron. I really do think it's an art to build a bridge. It's not just an engineering task, but actually an art. So let me elaborate. To build a bridge, we need supplies, like tools, and materials to build the bridge out of. We need a location. Well, I guess we need at least two locations. So make sure to have at least two locations. Well, I guess there probably could be more, but let's, let's stick with two. Let's not get too complicated right off the bat. So, usually, as I've read, there is also something or someone to traverse, cross, like a river or a giant ravine or the dog's tail if I'm an ant traveling across the kitchen floor with some goodies that the tall lady dropped while cooking. I mean, I could just go around, but that would take a while. So, the options I'm searching. Any materials? Any supplies? "'Locations? Yes, at least two. Good. Now what?' "'I mean, it seems simpler to put on my jetpack and go around the dog's tail. "'Which is what i do if I was, in fact, an ant traveling across the kitchen floor "'with some goodies that the tall lady dropped while cooking. "'That's what ants do. "'They don't generally have supplies while collecting goodies. "'Now, don't underestimate ants. "'You should see the intricate way they build their homes. "'In fact, you should see what ants do when there are many of them together. "'Together, they do amazing things.' Together, they would have built a bridge. Turns out, bridges are hard to build alone. There was a large rock face in my backyard growing up, and me and my brothers and the neighborhood kids, we loved to climb it and imagine different plays around this rock face. There were also a lot of branches, skinny branches around, and we'd use them to build forts and huts and hiding places for when we played army. Under the rock face was a swamp, one that only got swampy once a year we begin this story on Swamp Day. It was Swamp Day. The weather, perfect. The rock face, still rocking and facing. Facing the swamp that was. Rubber boots, raincoats, and probably a toque, Canadianese for a winter hat. And those little stretchy gloves on, the Petrie clan headed out for an afternoon of play. Judy looks on from the window, but quickly loses interest. I mean, how many times can her children almost fall into the swamp without her heart leaping out of her throat? Turns out, exactly three times. One is my eldest brother, clearly not going to fall into the swamp. Next in line, chronologically as well as Nathan, strong as an ox, not scrawny like the rest of us. Ox, as he will now be referred to as, traversed the swamp with one leap. I could have sworn his size would have been some kind of natural deterrent, or at least some forces of gravitational pull would have helped my cause. You see, I was next, and a girl. Yes, I know, I still am, but I was next and definitely the underdog. No way was I making it across the swamp. There was no way. Enter the thoughts of those who are listening to the surrounding botanical species around the rock face. Yes, the skinny branches. Re-enter little me's thoughts. The skinny branches. I grab a couple and lay them out and begin to walk. Slowly. Ever so slowly. Now, perhaps the swamp was extra swampy that year, or perhaps I was extra big at that point. But regardless of anything else one could come up with, regardless of any kind of forces that helped my brothers, now laughing, across the swamp, little Renee began to sink. Feet on the skinny branches, rubber boots trying to grip, sinking I went. Jump! Who said that? It wasn't me. It wasn't my brothers. I didn't even think of that. I just stayed glued to those skinny branches and slowly, ever so slowly, sank. Enter Judy. As I watched from the window, my brothers continued to face the rock and swamp it out. I noticed their collection of skinny branches included things like logs, trees, planks, and now smiles as they waved to me. Brothers. Oh, brothers. If only I knew that logs, trees, and planks were especially helpful in swamp crossings. If only we worked together. Well, we might not be official siblings at that point, given the stereotypical mold, but at least I would have been one less swampy rubber boot on a Saturday afternoon memory holder. So I could have been smarter. I could have made sure to study engineering, or I could have been taking swamp samples to find the exact level in which a skinny branch bridge would be successful in swamp scaling. I had the supplies. I had the locations and materials, too. But... I lacked something. I had everything, everything but another perspective. I had many vantage points. I had a history to lean on. I clearly had skill. You'll understand why when you hear about next year's swamping. But I didn't have my brother's perspectives. Two perspectives on the swamp that I did not possess. They had current, up-to-date information of the conditions of the swamp. They both were holding skinny branches in their hands as they stood waiting for me to cross, both realizing that last night's rain helped to waterlog the branches, information you only gather after holding a branch for a while, not merely picking one up with a little stretchy glove on and placing it quickly on the top layer of the swamp. And they had successfully jumped the swamp. They both knew the only rock to step on was just below the surface, which I had not computed because I had been scanning the environment, imagining the foxes, the ptarmigans, and the large ravens that had been in around the swamp that might be sitting on top of the rock face just peering down. I was distracted from the task. I moved from watching their initial step, still on the rock face, to the thoughts of the foxes, how skinny and scrawny they can be sometimes, but still so haunting, and back to the cheers of Ox as he reached the other side. Enter little Rene, skinny branch, sink, sank, sunk. I had Poa. I had Hish. I had Tea, and even Zai. I had an experience. One one that was incomplete, inexact, inexact, inaccurate, and intermittent. An experience of reality. And one that would repeat itself with differences, I would hope. Again, remember next year's swamping. But a repetition nonetheless. Little Renee. Swamp. Brothers. Swamp. Skinny branches. Swamp. Rubber boots. Sink. Swamp. Rubber boots grip. Swamp. Sank. Laughing brothers. Panic pulse race. Swamp sunk a sequence, a repetition that follows a certain pattern, even if slight differences are woven in. They too begin to follow a certain predictable pattern, a chorus or a refrain, and for our purposes a sequence. Flash forward to the here and now, a meditation on the art of building bridges to an audience of players and players and those who understand experiences within play or within the play space. And those who might not understand how to build a bridge, the tension, the compression, the bending, the torsion and sheer forces necessary and how to manipulate them. But those who understand being in one location while someone else is in another. Especially playing with those who have experienced a trauma. It, the trauma, inevitably shows up. You might not notice it. It can be tough to see, but don't worry, it'll come again. And again, and again, and again. A repetition. A known sequence and suddenly you're on one side of the play and while the other is well on the other a crevasse the grand canyon a stuck point now we've all had them you're traveling along just as normal as you normally would through play a little bump here a little bump there nothing major until you place a demand or even just turn a corner and suddenly it's a halt who goes there you get no response get smacked with a pillow. Something is thrown. A piercing scream echoes through the halls. They stare off into space and slowly slump onto the floor. Hello? Are you there? Are you awake? Are you unconscious? I mean, I guess you'd probably not be able to answer me if you were unconscious. Well, oh, okay, now you're running out of the room, and here I am talking to myself. Right? No matter what, we hit these spots where we peer over the edge and see that there are no footholds, nothing to grip, and certainly no skinny branches. We are on the edge and sometimes hanging on by a thread, and our client, the player, is staring us down and repeats, I'm not playing that. Huh? What's so bad about just walking in a circle? Or saying, ooh, as I peer out of the closet? Even my knocking on the door gets stopped. No one's here! Huh? I'm just your friendly neighbor asking for some sugar. Silence. Now what? No, I'm really asking. What do I do? Right. I try to put it into the play. So I knock again. Try a different voice. Knock. Get out of the play and have some real talk. Turns out that any kind of demand should el- can elicit a trauma response. So the sequence should, and note the italics on that, be... I knock. That you say, and you say, "Who's there?" Not, not if I've been messed with, though. I most certainly don't. I don't say anything the knocker is wanting me to. Not this time. That simple demand triggers my re- response system, which is conditioned to be an effective protective system. So the knock, and then the protection. Really, if you think about it, it makes a lot of sense. Why would anyone want to leave themselves open to the potential of harm, the potential of life, the potential? It was a sunny day this time, a very sunny day, which despite the horrors of winter is not actually that odd for where I grew up. Well, at least in the summer. Yes, it was the summer. I mean, it wasn't, you know, like California or anything, but we had sun all day. So I guess that was a fair trade-off. And I wasn't in the backyard, nor near the rock face. In fact, I'm not even in this story. I just know about it, like as if it was a legend or something. And I guess it kind of was. Anyways, yes, a sunny day, and it was. It was in the park, the one near the elementary school, near the back, where we weren't allowed to go for recess because it was too dangerous and where I filled Ophelia going mad for a high school project many years later. So I guess it wasn't really in the park at all, just in the back of the school. And it wasn't summer, but it was sunny and crisp. So never mind everything else I said before this point. And yes, I do have one, a point that is. Behind the elementary school, named after the woman who was the first to start a school, way up there, there was a huge pile of snow. And in the middle of it was my brother, Ox, digging and shoveling and digging. He was building. To this day, I really have no idea why he was doing what he was doing. You see, he was building a quincy. And a quincy is like an igloo, but without the blocks. It's a survival trick for the winter. Just dig out a little cocoon within a huge pile of snow and it will insulate you and then you won't die. So good purpose, Ox, but we have a whole house that's heated and insulated and why don't you come and sleep here? You see, he was going to sleep in it. The Quincy. All night. And did I mention that the winter could be so cold, like minus 45 Celsius, which is something like minus 49 Fahrenheit or something crazy like that? Just imagine the coldest day you've ever experienced, and multiply that by five, then add a hundred, and then imagine sleeping in a huge pile of snow. There lay Ox, warm as could be, and when asked for the bajillionth time, by me of course, he replied, because he could. He did it because it was possible to do so, because Ox, plus the experience of that very current situation, equals potential a snow bridge of sorts. Between Ox and his current circumstances, Ox and the snow created, although Ox did most of the work, a cocoon to help him with his, in that moment, chosen task of survival. The snow had one thing in mind, if it had a mind, that is, but it was a pile. That's what its offer was, and it worked and shaped with Ox to create something new, a quincy. Okay, yes, I know what you're gonna say. Snow's not animated, it doesn't respond. And to all of you, I say go and try and make a quincy without working with the snow and then get back to me. Snow doesn't do what you want it to what you want it to do necessarily, and it will let you know if you make a wrong move. Avalanche. So now this is where I give the pop quiz of who's been listening. Or who's been sleeping and dozing from the nice lunch you just had. Heck, I'd be doing the same. These DVT presenters can be so verbose. But what I've been hinting at at this bridge building thing has to do with DVT is the play. And, I th- and how we should try to understand the player's responses to the play. So think of the Picasso. An image or stance within the play that holds two opposing sides to it. For example, playing the mum role in a scene and using a baby voice. Saying I love you, but with a growly, clearly angry voice. A Picasso is such a great tool for building a bridge. And that I imagine you can't even build one without it. Well, at least the principles of it. So let's break it down. You knock on the door. There's no response. You knock again. Again, nothing. So you try something else. What else? Um, you knock in a scarier way. Remember, you're trying to desensitize the player to their past, which for most traumatized individuals includes fear. So they respond, probably by putting an end to your offer, rejecting it. I don't want to play that. Stop! Smack! And our first response is to drop our offer. That's wrong. You're on a location, and so are they. So grab some skinny branches or at least something more effective and try to reach them. Repeat the sequence. Allow for more room for their responses to come sooner. Slow down your knocking. Slow down your scariness. Retreat. Linger. Meander. Delay. Do all of this and more, but do not, absolutely do not let go of your offer completely. If you do, then you're not building a bridge. You're changing your location for the next Grand Canyon to appear. Example, you knock, they respond by saying, stop. To linger is to repeat the knock, but while you're saying, what? Stop knocking? To hold the position, but allow their response to absorb into your offer. Then they say, yes, stop knocking. You say, oh, I'm knocking while you're still knocking and then you pretend remember it's play guys come on that you're not aware of your own knocking as if your hand is an entity all on its own and it will never stop knocking and you desperately need their help to continue the threat that is your knock allow yourself to be affected by their response and in turn the sequence is also affected don't abandon the shape you're making but to expand the play and have it be co-created you have to ascribe more qualities within the sequence that includes their response So you can knock, and they say stop. But if you just stop without including a response to their response in some way, you're not in the conversation. You're not part of the construction. In fact, you're not really in their play. You want to find the edge of what they can tolerate, and play around there, and try to build a bridge to connect the place where you're headed, the who's there, and where they might be at. Play about the process, not about the destination. For example, you can meander. You knock. They say stop. You say stop in the name of love. Stop before you break my heart. Stop, drop, and roll, or stop or else. All the while, your hand is slowly raising to form into another knock. And hopefully they're watching this. You want to say yes to their response, but add yes and and yes but. To retreat. This one is one of my favorites. Often performed as I'm sprinting away from their impeding smack. You'll see me running away but still narrating what's happening. You said stop and I didn't listen and now I'm going to get it. Trying to continue to make shapes of what I sense is happening and what I imagine their response to be. And you know what? I'm glad if I'm wrong. That way I get more information. More information and more precise information. No, you aren't going to get it. I'm just going to get you. Ah, that's leaps and bounds different. And we're building a bridge. To get to the next part of our sequence together, the delay. Now, please remember, this is not an exhaustive list, nor a correct one, nor one that will be soon be in addition to the text for practitioners. Merely, there are, there are thoughts based on observations, and now I'm just saying these thoughts out loud. So, the delay is also a favorite of mine. Includes famous moves like the stutter or the stammer, the ooh ah hmm ah hmm kind of breed just trying to buy some time, trying to get more information, but still holding my hand and moving it towards another knock. Do not fully leave your location. If you just leave and grab your skinny branches, you'll be lacking the information that would have been helpful before you put those branches down on the swamp. Ask your brothers what they think, little Renee. Be vulnerable. Be wrong. You don't know everything there is to know. Just FYI. You can Picasso without the other's information or their perspective. So don't just, don't just Picasso and think you're some great artist. Create the bridge together. Hold multiple tracks at once and work together on it. That's what play is really about. Having an embodied conversation with someone and trying as hard as we can to continue that. Negotiate. To allow feelings and thoughts and shapes and sizes to be included in the play. To converse about them and to have movement back and forth from here to there, past and present. For the purpose of dimensionalization. For the purpose of bridging the gap. For the purpose of leaping over the swamp while taking in the different perspectives to better inform your leap. To to maybe make it more successful. That's how to build a bridge. And you might want to consider it because what else do you have to lose? Any questions? So there you have it, another episode down, and hopefully the conversation's still going strong. Feel free to give me an email at thisdvtlife at gmail.com if you have any comments, questions, or any story ideas. Don't forget to subscribe at your iTunes store. Thanks again for listening. Take care and play on.